Hey, welcome to Marine Creek. I'm glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, that is our gift to you. We want you to have that. Uh, Take that, make it your own. Write your name in it so we know it's yours. So if you leave it behind, uh, it gets back into the rightful uh, hands. So uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. And before we get into this, I want to I, uh, our goal every week when we think about this gathering time, when we think about getting together and, you know, Ryan is praying through the worship set and uh, he is praying, God, show us songs that you want to hear, not that we want to hear. And uh, he's working through that and we're putting everything together. Our, our goals are this. Every week we want to love you and we want to make Jesus clear. I think if we stick with those primary things, we stay out of a lot of the uh, church junk I call it, and uh, we love you because honestly, uh, life can get a little bit rough and you may go through it and kind of just slide into the weekend uh, feeling like you're on, on kind of skid marks of the week, you know, and we want to love you and, and, and get our arms around you and then we want to make Jesus clear. Uh, that's important as a church because we don't want to just sell an idea of Jesus or some Jesus that we've packaged as American. Uh, we want to get into the, the, the God of the scriptures and let him transform us. So that's our goal. Our mission is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus, period. That means we want to see people come to a saving knowledge and a transformation and a new relationship in Christ. Uh, salvations. We want to see people saved. We want to see people continue to give glory to God through that life changing uh, by the maturity process. And I'm going to brag on uh, all of our ministries because they're all amazing. Uh, But this went past Wednesday night. Uh, Our youth uh, leadership team had been praying and preparing for just a season of harvest. And uh, on their Wednesday night, youth night, they had uh, uh, three teenagers uh, that the gospel became absolutely clear to them and was life transformational. So that's uh, three teenagers who were saved Wednesday night. So I think that's good stuff, right? Yeah, give God a hand for that. I mean, if, if our desire is to see lives changed by the message of Jesus, we need to be communicating the message of Jesus. And then that happened Wednesday night, and it was so beautiful. I came in, and uh, Trinity's face was just like, he's like, man. And I was praying for him. I was praying against all the stuff that the... Really, the enemy was going to bring against them because when you try to storm the gates of hell, all hell's going to come against you. So um, he fought it, and, and the gospel was good. Um, Wednesday night, that happened uh, in children's ministry. Just God is being glorified through life change. Uh, we are launching a ministry in a school this week, Kids Beach Club, where we have the opportunity to go on a public school campus and preach the gospel after school. That kicks off on Wednesday, and we have no idea what it's going to look like, how many kids are going to be there, but hey, we're just going to get the gospel out to as many places and people as we can. So I love that because lives get changed, God gets glorified. It's not by us, man, it's by the power of the gospel. So I'm I'm excited about that. We're in a book study. We started last week, Colossians, um, and so we're going to continue in that. I called the, the study Rooted. Because Paul is going to address some things in the church in Colossae where they, they, uh, they're kind of being pressured a little bit to be influenced by the culture around them. 
their desire is to look to Rome to be their hope. Uh, they kind of feel like they've been left behind a little bit. And Paul's going to address some things. And, and really what he's doing is he's calling them back to their roots in the gospel, their roots in Christ. There's some deep theology in the book of Colossians around, around the person and work and the fullness and supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to lock in here, understand what's going on, and uh, really let God transform us through what we're studying about this ancient city, which I say ancient city, you understand this is a real city. The Bible's not written in a far off time in a land far, far away. Um, this, it, it is real. I mean, uh, Colossae is in modern day Turkey. And I love that about scripture because God just doesn't give us a fairy tale. I, I don't know if you live a fairy tale Monday through Friday. I mean, I, I don't know if you've got cartoon birds sitting on your shoulders and Maybe the theme song to your life or the soundtrack to your life is zippity doo yeah, Good for you, man. Help me understand that. I've never seen that. Um, so uh, we'll get there. But um, Paul's writing, and he's, he's going to address this idea, uh, this pressure. It's called syncretism. Uh, the church and the Christians have a desire to fit into culture, and they're in way allowing culture to influence them. And syncretism means we want to live in sync with the culture that we have. And basically, it looks like this. I have Jesus. I profess my faith in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I've been born again, regenerated, whatever you want to call it. I'm a Christ follower, but I'm no different than my neighbor who is not. That's syncretism. And, and we're called to live in culture, yes. But I believe this. The gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. The gospel, Jesus transforms our life so that we can influence culture. Not so we can go stand on a street corner and be a jerk, but so that we can influence culture and influence the people that live next to us that maybe we've lived next to for three years and never met. And we can take that first step. And the gospel calls us to step outside and begin to influence the culture around us. And Paul's going to really start to, to get into this issue. We're going to be in verses 9 through 14 in chapter 1. So you understand this is a letter written to the church in Colossae. This is a letter that Paul is writing. He has never met the people in Colossians. And Paul is in prison. Those are important. If you want some history, last, last week I just took you through the ringer on the history of what was going on. You can go and listen to it online. It's, it's definitely a, a good time. And um, you'll get to understand about Rome and Colossae and all that. But I'm just kind of giving you a snapshot here. Paul's in prison, hasn't met the people in Colossae. He's writing them a letter. He's going to deal with these issues of legalism. Uh, a cult called Gnostics, and he's going to deal with this idea of looking to Rome for your hope. Basically, the whole thing, he's calling them back to say, get rooted in Jesus. He's all you need. He's enough. Um, think about this. Paul's in prison. What we're going to read today and study through is the contents of his prayer. Last week, we saw in verse 3 that, that he said, I thank God for you. He didn't say, good job, guys. I'm proud of you. He said, I thank God for you. And this week, we're going to see the contents of this prayer. Here's the interesting thing, and this shows me the maturity of Paul. He's in prison, and he's going to pray these things. Um, I was flipping through TV, and, you know, sometimes you see a train wreck on a station. That's what we call a show that's kind of like the Jerry Springer show. Um, it's why traffic gets so ridiculous on the highway when there's a wreck. You see flashing lights, like, ooh. And you, so you just slow down to five miles an hour, and you just got to see it, you know. 
I call that, I hit that on the, the TV sometimes when I'm flipping. It was called Scared Straight. And basically they were taking these kids that were on the borderline of getting into, getting into trouble. They take them into prison. And you've got inmates, they're like, you want to be in here with me? I mean, I'd be, okay, I would start crying as soon as they told me that that's what I was going to do. Like, we're going to take you to the prison because you're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got that gift, man. At the moment of trouble, I can turn it on. Um, Paul is in prison, okay? Uh, I, I, I used to have nightmares because I would see shows about prison life, and I watched a show uh, the other day, The Scared Straight, and I'll have nightmares about it, okay? I'm just being honest, okay? It's just us in here, so let's be honest. I'm having nightmares. My fear is not that I, I think I've got enough God in my life that I'm not going to go do something that's going to land me in prison. I mean, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to move in me that way. But my fear is I get falsely accused. And they're like, they're like you're going into general population. I'm like, you know, so I'll wake up in the cold sweats, you know. I'm like, eh. Paul's in prison for being a Christian. Paul's in prison because of the gospel, because he's put Jesus at the center of his life. And he's writing a letter to the church in Colossae saying, hey, guys, I know I'm in prison but here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the exact same thing that got me here, okay? If I am in prison and you get a letter from me, first of all, I ain't going to be praying for you. Uh, so understand that. Um, I'm going to be sending you a letter, say, pray for me, so, because shower time is no bueno. Um, and here's the recipe I need you to follow for the file cake, okay? Love you. So the spiritual maturity is something I admire in Paul because he's in chains for the gospel. Even as he's writing this letter, think about it. He's chained to a Roman guard sharing the gospel with the Roman guard. I mean, and he's, he, could you imagine writing it? He's like, the Roman guard, he's like, I got to leave my right hand free if that's okay. So we'll chain it this way. He's like, hey, I need you to pray with me. We're going to pray for this church. It's in a town called Colossae. This is what I heard about, man. Their faith in Jesus is evident. Man, the love that they have for each other in the church is evident. And, and I'm going to pray, and you're welcome to join me. And so this soldier, I mean, think about it. I mean, all the, guard, all the guards hear about the gospel. And Paul is writing this to say, I'm in prison for the gospel, but here's how I want you to live the gospel out. It, here's the thing we've got to understand. The gospel, Jesus is the best thing that can ever happen to our life, even if it screws your life up. I mean, think about this. Paul's in prison. He's got every right to question. God, I gave my life to you. I audibly heard God's voice. I mean, we'll, we'll joke and say, you know, I'm not doing that unless God comes down, stands in front of me, says, this is what you're going to do. And, and we joke about that. God audibly spoke to Paul, blinded him, said, Saul, as was, was his name before his, his transformation. Heard the voice of God, okay? And now he's preaching the gospel. Look at his resume. Shipwrecked. Decides to build a fire on the island. Picks up a log, gets bit by a snake. If I were traveling with Paul, I'd be like, listen, dude, we're taking separate cars, okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I get that you're an apostle and you're following Jesus, but man, come on. And so I'm just telling you, and think about it, he, he has the right to complain and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I here? I'm serving you. And, and he doesn't. He's praying this for the church that he has never met because the gospel is bearing fruit. 
Paul teaches Epaphras. And Epaphras comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus. He goes to Colossae and starts a church and says, let me tell you about Jesus. And let me, let me teach you because the gospel will transform the culture. And he, this begins to happen. And Paul's uh, writing this letter. What I love about all of this is um, Paul is reacting to the gospel. Uh, Epaphras is reacting to the transformation in his life. The church is reacting to what's going on. We have this weird myth in, in especially American Christianity that we act and God reacts. Let me give you the truth. God acts and we react. The cross is not a reaction to our sin. Understand that. Before humans were ever made, before the world and creation was spoken into existence, the Trinity existed the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they said, if we do this humanity thing, here's what's going to happen. It's going to go bad. And Jesus says, I will stand in the gap for humanity. And I, I will be the lamb slain before we even start this world. Before you lay any of the footers for the foundation, I'll take it. And so we think we're doing God a favor by us acting and he will react we're backwards. Let's understand that. God has never looked down on us and go, man, I hope this works out for me. <laughs> He's bigger than that, okay? He's never done that. And so we live our lives reacting to the grace and mercy of God given through the cross. And Paul's going to drive them back to this. Um, let's go to verse 9 here, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this. And I'm going to preach at you, yell at you, scream at you, and just then we'll go eat. Um, this is, the, this is the prayer. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's praying for God to fill the church, for the people with wisdom, with knowledge. Okay, here, here's what we have to back up and understand in this. We're not full. We're, we're, we're not there yet. And so Paul's saying, I'm praying that God will fill you with, with his knowledge. Um, here's, here's what we have to understand. We have this uh, moment in time where we, we, some of you may have put your faith in Christ. Uh, you have come to that point where God has filled you with his knowledge. He's revealed himself to you. And you have seen his nature and his character and understood the reality of the cross and your reaction was to serve him and submit to him and worship him. And, and you have this moment where you, by faith, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you confess that, and you become a new creation. But there's a difference here. We can have a conversion experience, and we're 100% justified before God. But sanctification, maturity, is a process. It's got to be played out. We've got to grow up. It, it, one of the families in our church, and you, some of you know them, Josh and Carrie Wright um, had their baby, Caleb, uh, last Wednesday. And he came five weeks early, I believe. Uh, the delivery was a surprise. Went into the doctor for normal checkup. Uh, levels in, in Carrie's system were, were not where they wanted to see, even at dangerous levels. And the doctor said, we need to go ahead and take the baby before we get into real issues. Caleb was born 4 pounds, 13 ounces, 18 inches long. You need to congratulate me because I'm a man and I got the stats. <laughs> All right? 
I got beat up for not snapping picks because I was so focused. Get the stats, get the stats, get the stats. See, guys are like, how big was he? Hey, about that big. You know, and he's a boy, you know. What difference does it make? No, you ladies, man. How big was he? Okay, four pounds, 13 ounces, 18 inches long. Mm. So uh, he, uh, because he was born early, there was uh, NICU was standing by. Um, I got to the hospital a little bit after he was born, walk up to the nursery. I mean, I, hair, just a lot of hair, tiny, just so amazingly tiny. Um, and our church started praying for them. Uh, Caleb spent four hours in the NICU. Caleb was released and discharged from the hospital before Carrie was. So thank you for praying for them. Uh, Heather and I got to go and see them on Wednesday, and uh, they were just like, please thank our family. Thank our church family for praying for us because, man, it's just been an amazing process. But I got to sit and hold little Caleb. He's four pounds, 11 ounces right now. And I'm holding him, and I'm, you know, all this hair, I'm playing with his hair, and I'm getting ready to spike it and stuff, you know. You know, getting product out. But um, I'm holding them and just all the features of a human. I mean, in four pounds, 11 ounces, I'm like, this is a human. I mean, it's just, and he's, I could hold him for hours because it's like holding nothing. I mean, I've had burritos from Chipotle bigger than Caleb. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I haven't really. I'm on a diet. Earmuffs, Heather. Um, Here's the thing, and we told him. We looked at Josh and Carrie said, Mom, Dad, take this in because you're going to blink and 10 years goes by. And he's going to grow up. He's going to get bigger. But, but here's the thing with our spirituality and the sanctification process. There's a lot of 40-year-old Christians still drinking from a bottle spiritually that honestly, it's, kinda, it's creepy if you think about it. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, if you take the kids to McDonald's this afternoon and go to the, into the playland and there's a 40-year-old guy playing in the tubes, first of all, you're going to ask for a manager and a background check, okay? Uh, and, and, I mean, we've got a lot of 40-year-old Christians sitting in the kiddie pool going, yay, I like this. And, and Paul's saying, no, I'm praying for God to fill you with knowledge, not just knowledge. Remember the cult that he's also going to address is Gnostics. And Gnostics believe the Greek word gnosis, knowledge. They believe that you arrive and get there by being full of knowledge. Here's the problem. They're full of knowledge. They're full of information. Paul is praying, I'm praying that you be filled with, you be filled with epinosis, a transformational, intimate knowledge of the character and nature of God. Not so you just have information for information's sake, but so you have transformation based on you experiencing and the character of God being revealed in your life. And Paul's saying, get into that. That's going to help you grow up. If you read through Paul's letters, there are times he gets so frustrated with this maturity process. He'll even stop and go, you know what, I can't even talk to you. You're just not ready for this yet. And in the church in Colossae, he's saying, I'm praying for God to fill you with this knowledge so that it is transformational, so that you can understand and grow in this. And then here's the, the result of this knowledge. Because here's the thing. If you just pray for knowledge, for knowledge's sake, uh, much like the Gnostic cult, you just have a bunch of information. You've got all this stuff stored, but you have no way, there's no transformation, and you have no way to live it out. 
I mean, it, it's, it's like one, one guy will say, you have more degrees than a thermometer, but you're dumber as a door. I mean, it, it's a difference in information and common sense. Okay, Paul's praying for transformational knowledge so that not only God fills you with the nature and character of himself, but now you have the ability, the wisdom to walk it out so that it can be seen, so that, that there is a difference between people who don't know Christ and people who do. Not to say we're better than they are. I would, I would say that, that our uh, rebuttal to that comment would be, no, I think I'm worse than you because I have such a deep need for Jesus in my life. I need him, his nature, his character at work in my life because I can't do it on my own. So there has to be a result of this knowledge. God just doesn't say, here, learn this, know this, understand this. It's always for a purpose. And here's the purpose, verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, let, me, let me stop there. Um, this is a circular movement here. And, and uh, it does have a starting point. Let me, let me explain this. The starting point is God fills us with knowledge. And then we get into living a life that is worthy of the Lord, that pleases the Lord. Then we bear fruit. Then we grow in the knowledge of God. And so it's, it's circular. And understanding this, too many people think you get into this process by the works. You, it's not you act, God reacts. God's like, oh, they're doing good stuff. I need to come see what's going on. You know, I'm so proud of you. Ah, ah, the kingdom just got a good one today. No, God says, I'm going to reveal my nature and character to Matt. And I see God for who he really is. And I fall on my face in worship and say, I, yes, if I can utter a word and then that understanding leads me to live the life I'm created to live that reflects the nature and character of God. That means I'm bearing fruit. That means I'm doing good works. It, to live a life worthy of pleasing the Lord is this. It, it's translated this way, to take a stroll with God. I mean, to walk with God. And if I'm walking with Him, I'm wanting to reflect His character. And I'm, I'm wanting to I'm wanting to experience life the way he experiences it. And then as I'm walking with him and reflecting his character, I'm learning more about him. And because I learn, oh, well, that's the nature and character of God, I want to keep doing this. And it's a circular movement. We, we tend to think that we, we, we bring it all. Here's the, here's the thing. And we get frustrated in this process, honestly. If that's where you're at, you know, just take a deep breath. And just say, God, I'm tired of trying to follow a religion because religion says you do the work and then God will love you. Religion is where you jump on this cycle and it becomes this, this uh, impossibly difficult system that you can't sustain because you jump on based on works. When a relationship is, man, I have seen God for who he is and I love him. I mean, I do things for my wife because I love her. I don't do things to get her to love me. I mean, I, I fell in love with her, and that, that spawned a whole crazy thing in life. And so that's our reaction to God. 
And so we have this knowledge that leads to works, not a works that leads to knowledge. Um, it's God rooting, think of it this way, it's God rooting us instead of us trying to root ourselves. Because the fruit is only going to reflect where the root where the root is. If you want a nice pastoral phrase, here you go. You know, I don't like alliteration or acrostics and all that, but but the fruit is a result of the root, okay? That way you can write it down, you can remember it, you can put it on a post-it, you can put it on your rearview mirror, you can put it on your dashboard, you can put it on your mirror, all that stuff. Um, speaking of mirrors, here's a creepy story. I ran into a lady at church. I went to a church service. One of our mentoring churches uh, had a, a service on Tuesday night and invited me there. And I walked up to a lady that I had baptized several years ago, and she gave me a hug. She said, I think about you every day. I was like, well, that's just sweet. She goes, I have your picture in my bathroom. And I said, that's creepy. <laughs> and I said, please explain to me. And she said, well, the picture of you baptizing me, um, my sister gave me this really pretty frame. And I hung it in my bathroom so I see it every day when I'm getting ready um, so I can understand that I'm getting ready to walk out and live a changed life. And I was like, now you're going to make me cry, and I'm glad you qualified that. Um, <laughs> but it's a reflection of the root. Heather and I planted a garden this summer, which was an epic fail. Um, I blame the weather. Um, and I, we planted tomato plants and um, pepper plants, and uh, she planted an eggplant. I don't know why, but we planted squash plants. I mean, we're just like, oh, I can't wait. Like a homegrown tomato, you're just like, ah. Oh. It's like heaven, homegrown tomato, okay? You know, so the God is wrapped in there. And I, I can't wait for this. But I can't go to, to like our uh, zucchini plant and go, hey, can you make me a tomato? I would love you to be a tomato. Make me a tomato. And it's not going to happen. And we get so frustrated. We get so frustrated because the fruit is not what we want. And we get into this crazy cycle of beating ourselves up. And, and we get into this problem of going, I, I, just, I just need, I, I need to fix me. I need to fix this. I need to deal with this. I don't like the fruit. And what happens is we're trying to change the root. And it, it, this ain't Christmas trees, okay? When we're, when we're transformed to new creations, God doesn't cut us down and make us a Christmas tree. And he'll go, I'd like to hang this fruit on you or this fruit on you or this fruit on you. He plants you in the gospel, and the gospel bears gospel fruit. Uh, I, I, let me just say it this way. Um, if, if we think that we can get into behavioral modification and approach problems going, how do I fix my problem? We're not going to stick with that. If you go into marriage counseling, recovery, a step program, and your whole focus is how do I fix the problem, it's, it's not going to be a long-term solution. It needs to be how do I get to know the nature and character of God? Because that nature and character gets down to the root system and begins to produce a different fruit in your life. It's kind of like this. Uh, the, my yard looks like a bunch of weeds. And they'll grow and they grow. They seem, seem to grow faster than the grass does. And they grow in the winter. That's the only thing green in my yard. And, and I can go mow the weeds, but they're going to come right back up. And I can get frustrated and go mow them again. They're going to come right back up. And I can say, maybe I need to mow them better. Maybe I need to pay more attention while I mow. Maybe I need to, to change my mowing tactics. 
Maybe I need to mow from a different direction. No, I've got to get to the root of the problem. The only way we're going to address the root of our problems is to get locked in with the nature and the character of Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, it's just us in here. And so we've got to get to this transformation. How are we transformed? When we see, understand, and respond to the nature and character of God. When we, when we see the cross and we understand that, that, there, that God who created us and designed us loves us so much that he wants a way to connect us back with him. And through his goodness and his grace, the cross stands to represent an action so that I can react in humility and give my life back to him. And, and so we, we get into this cycle. So let me just help you. If you've got a bunch of self-help books, you'll make a little bit of money this week. Take them down to half-price books. Sell those. Come out. Get your Bible. And say, I don't want to... God, we'll deal with sin. We're going to deal with all the stuff. But instead of me trying to follow my self-help books, I want to know the nature and character of my Heavenly Father. I want to lock in and know who you really are, God. And when I see your character, that will transform me from the inside out. Reveal your character so that I can live the life that reflects your character so that I learn more of your character. You see the circle there? And it's a circle of grace, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Verse 11, he says this, um, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. You know why the Bible says over and over that all praise is due Him, all power is His, all glory and honor is His? It's because it is. I mean, we we try to do a lot of these things under our own power. We're going to come up short. And, and, And let me just say this about God's power. Yes, it is big enough. It is big enough. I've sat with some of you at coffee and across the table and you have uh, brought me into some of the struggles that you're facing. And yes, God is big enough. Sometimes we tend to think, well, I bring nothing to the table. All I have is baggage. Matt, you don't understand. I've made some terrible decisions in my past and I have to live with the consequences of those. You may have made decisions that yes, there are long-term consequences that you have to live with. But you know what? God's power is enough. Okay, my, my respect for the Apostle Paul um, is also with this. Not that he can be in prison and pray for someone else, but because of this. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 12. Um, this is in your further reading. And when you read it this week, highlight this passage. If this is not highlighted in your Bible, highlight it, underline it, put some blinking lights on it on the side of your Bible and, and refer to it oft. Um, Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. You ever met those people who experienced something with God and instead of God, that experience humbling them, they become this religious snot, you know, where they're just like, well, you know, God did this in my life and he could do it in yours if you just humble yourself. And you know. <laughs> I'll put more than a thorn in your flesh, buddy. He says, to keep me humble, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This isn't sin, by the way. We deal with our sin. I know we all hang on to our our little pet sins, 
This is not excusing sin. We deal with sin. We deal with it harshly. But this is our weakness. This is our baggage. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is Paul's response to that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Okay? His power is enough. His grace and power gives us strength, endurance, and patience to endure the trials of our life. Let me help you understand something. Trials in your life are going to come. I don't know if you sold a bill of goods that when Jesus comes into your life, when you give your life to Jesus, he's going to heal all your disease, all bills paid. I mean, Jesus, I mean, you sell Jesus like that, man, who doesn't want him? The problem is, is reality hits in. And, and if you give your life to Jesus, you'll never face trials. Here's the problem with that. Um, that doesn't preach in every culture in the world. That doesn't preach to the missionary we support who has spent the last almost year in Brazil trying to clean up the idea that if you put your faith in Christ, then you will be wealthy and that he will heal all of your disease. And he himself is laying in, in a, a rehab center recovering from brain surgery from brain cancer. So that doesn't compute. Why does the Bible talk about endurance and pain and affliction and trials and suffering so much? It's because it's a reality of humanity. And God's strength and power gives us the ability to go through it. And then here's the star. He gives us the ability to go through it, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. That's a strange concept. If you start looking at your joy based on your circumstances, you're looking at happiness. And you're saying, God, I want to be happy all the time. God, make me happy. Basically, you want God to be your upper. And God's saying, I'm going to give you a joy because your joy is rooted in the character and nature of God. Your joy is rooted in the cross. Your joy is rooted in this truth that even though you may suffer here on earth, there will be a day you will step into perfection. There will be a day when you stand face to face with Jesus and all is made right. And that's the redemption and the revelation of the glory. And that's the hope of heaven that Paul talked about last week. I mean, Jesus' half-brother James wrote this. Let me read this. This is also in your future study. But he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's that fullness concept again. So, Where's the joy in trial? The joy in trial is that God has taken notice of me and he's given me his strength and his grace, gives me the ability to endure this and to, to, to handle myself amongst trials and to handle myself amongst people who put me under trial. And he is developing in me godly character. 
because he desires me to be mature, desires me to be full. Are you tracking with that? So we can have joy amidst affliction because we know God is working in us. We know that God is continuing to move. And, and you may think, they may think that, well, yeah, how do I have joy? Because here's my thought, is that God has just turned his back on me. Is that God has just decided, you know what, I'm done with you and I'm turning out the light. I don't know if you ever got frustrated, if your parent got frustrated with your kids at night because they always seemed to, I mean, mine were different. Mine obediently went to bed every night just perfectly. But I've heard stories of other parents that it can be a little struggle at bedtime. And I mean, for uh, Heather and I, we see, I'm, no, I'm just, I'm feeding you a bill of goods, we'll call it. Um, there were nights, honestly, and, and I would get, so frustrated. I'm just like, just go to sleep. You know? And, and you just, they're like, but I need water. But I got a bathroom. What about a story? Where's my teddy bear? You talk me. You, come on, you know your list. It happens every night. You know, okay? Three, two, one. Mommy, daddy. You know, you know it's coming. But you get so frustrated, you're like, I'm done. And you turn out the light, go to sleep. Sometimes you feel God has done that to you. You feel God is going, look, you won't get this. I'm trying to help you. You keep falling in the same trap over and over and over again. And you know what? I'm done. Turn out the lights. I'm out. That is not the nature and character of God. And Colossae may be feeling some of this. And here's what Paul says to him. He's calling him back to the roots. He says, you can joyfully give thanks to the Father in your trials who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. There's some pretty powerful things happening in, in that little text there. Um, first of all, we got to understand that the father has qualified us, he's rescued us, and he's redeemed us. Now, Paul's writing this to the church in Colossae. He said, look, he's qualified you. Qualified means competent to receive, that there's an inheritance coming and that you have been made competent to receive that inheritance. And then he's saying, and he has rescued you. You think Rome is your hope. You think in this culture press you're in that you have to look to Rome and the Father has rescued you from that. And he's redeemed you from the thought that you need to look at to Rome, that, that the, he's redeemed you from this idea and philosophy that we want to live under the authority of Rome and we want to be recognized in the Roman Empire and, and more so living in the dominion of darkness, that the satanic oppression and the demonic oppression that takes a hold of your life. And he's rescued and redeemed you from that. The word, the word uh, rescued that Paul uses is a battle field term, military term. And it means this, I myself. Think of it like this. Uh, think of it like Forrest Gump and Bubba. Forrest runs in looking for Bubba. And he cannot leave the fight without Bubba. And he finds Bubba bleeding and wounded. And he reaches down and he picks up, see I'm sharing with you some of that useless knowledge, you know, but it preaches. Um, he picks Bubba up and he carries him to safety. 
Okay, what Paul's saying, what the Father has done to us is through Jesus in the flesh, he stepped into humanity. He stepped onto the battlefield and he went to the cross. And in doing so, he's saying, I myself have rescued you. I came into humanity, wrapped myself in flesh. I picked you up bleeding and broken and hurt and I brought you to safety. I've rescued you and I did that for me. And I myself did it for me because I love you, because I see value in your life. So not only do I think that you're competent to receive the inheritance, I'm willing to step on the battlefield and drag you out. And then the redemption means I bought you. I bought you out of the slavery and bondage of sin and darkness. I paid for you. And Jesus paid for us in his blood. Way overpaid for what he gets. But he says, I see the value. And and here's a crazy notion that some people fall into the trap of. Jesus didn't purchase us and rescue us and redeem us to make us a slave to religion. He bought us so that he could adopt us as his kids so that we will share in the inheritance. You see, he says, you're broken and bruised and torn up, but I'm buying you. And I'm bringing you into my family. I'm making you my son. I'm making you my daughter. And you will receive all of the inheritance. And Paul's driving this home to them that the Father has done this through Jesus and this this qualification, the rescue and the redemption is through Jesus because God is good, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his action and our reaction comes after, because of his nature and his character. There's really two ways people view God. Uh, The first one, and sadly there are people in churches and people will say this is a biblical view of God, which it is not, but it is God holds the keys to heaven and hell and you better do what I say or I'm going to get you. You're not going to go around whistling through life. Zippity-doo-dah for your life is not on my playlist and you will be obedient to what I do or I'm going to get you. That's not a biblical view of God, first of all. Other than that, it's an impossible system. Is that you better do what I say or I'll get you. Here's the biblical view of God. That God has, has created us and he has created everything around us and designed the universe because he's after worship. He wants us to see his character and know his character and to worship him. And he designed everything so that we could worship him. People who fall under the first view is, well, why do we have the law? I mean, we've got the Ten Commandments and you better do what God says. You better do what he commands or you're going to die. Okay, we can't even keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, if you look at the law, we can't even keep the law on a kindergarten level. Okay, we can't even keep it on a preschool level. And therefore, there is the need for grace in the cross. But see, the commands of God, the the law of God, lead us. And he designed everything so that we would respond, we would react in worship and love. When we understand that all things are created for our joy and his glory and his worship, oh, that frees us to be obedient. Yeah, there's a word that, People shiver at in church sometimes because they don't know the nature and character of God. Obedience is a beautiful thing. 
I mean, two things that if a pastor says serving or giving and obedience, there's like, hmm. That's the maturity process. See, here's the, the principle with serving and giving. Yes, there's spiritual disciplines, and there is joy in walking in obedience in those spiritual disciplines. What I've learned in my past, you know, we're going to talk about it. What I've learned in my past is people who, who get the most offended when a pastor hits one of those buttons, it's because the conviction comes through. And, and here's just what I'm saying. Giving, serving is a spiritual discipline. There's joy in that obedience when you know the nature and character of God. Now, I'm not driving you for money. I mean, we're paying our bills just fine. Church is growing. It's amazing. And God, God is blessing us financially. I mean, we're pouring money into the schools. That's what you've done. I mean, we're able to say, when a need comes up from the school, we got you. We don't pay interest on any building. God has blessed us with this place. Yeah, it might be a little tight, but you know what? We can move ministry forward. I would gladly move ministry forward and not pay a building payment then strap us down, okay? Because then I got to drive you for money. And I'm not going to do that. We're going to go on obedience. Serving, yeah, in your worship guide, you're going to see that. Some of you may have already seen it and shivered. We need eight to ten adults to step into Creek Kids. And that's to maintain the level of excellence that they currently have. But I'm not going to guilt you into that. It's a spiritual discipline that you walk in joy and obedience to. Otherwise, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take you and hang you as a piece of fruit on a tree. Or I'm trying to say, I want you to produce this fruit. Here's the thing. When the gospel is rooted in your life, you will produce gospel fruit. And I need people who are producing gospel fruit to teach and minister and share the gospel and make the gospel clear in the lives of kids. Man, and, and I will wait. We'll close a room if we have to until we find the people who, who, are, who are there. I do believe this, that when there's a need, God's already met it. And so that, that's just where it's at. I'm not harping you. I'm not going to guilt you. Because honestly, if I guilt you to serve, those kids pay the price. Not you. You're going to get burnt out. And honestly, people who burn out in church, instead of dealing with it, they walk away. And so what happened is if I guilt you into it, you'll get in there, you'll burn out, you'll walk away, and the next church has to clean up our baggage, and they'll guilt you into the same thing, and then the cycle goes on. And you're in an unhealthy circular process centered around the gospel. I want us to be in a healthy process centered around the gospel. So here's what I believe. When we see and know the nature and character of God, it leads us to transformation, which leads us to change how our life is lived. Because we're living the way God created us to live. And I've learned this. There's absolutely and exponentially much more joy in living and following the nature of God and character of God. So here's my challenge to you, is, is just seek the character of God. You know, spend your time in quiet time this week. Stop praying for all the problems to be fixed. And spend some time this week saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know your character. I want to know your nature. I want to see your character. Pray it this way, Father, I want to know you in a way that I've never known you before. That's transformational. That's the beauty of what Paul's calling them to, to be rooted in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to, 
to, to freely step into your word. And we just ask that you, um, you fill us with knowledge. God, we want to know more of you. We, we all have problems. We all have things in our life we want to fix. We've all tried to fix it ourselves. We've all tried to produce a different fruit. But, but God, we just ask for you to just transform our root system. Just make us firmly planted in the gospel. And we humble ourselves before the cross and humble ourselves before you to say, we need you. We need your grace. We need your character and your nature to be at work in our life. Forgive us for trying to fix things on our own. God, forgive us when we learn a bit of your character and try to use that for our gain. That's not your character. So give us strength. We need you. We need your help. Father, for some of us, your grace needs to wash over us so that we understand that you've rescued us and redeemed us. And that you have truly made us alive. Father, we thank you for the... the the teens from Wednesday night that in a reaction to the cross their lives were transformed. Father, we thank you for the lives that are in here this morning that call out to you and say, I need you, I'm making you my Lord. I can't do this on my own. I'm tired of going through this process. And I need to know you, God. And I trust you. And I trust that you've paid for me and bought me with a price. And Father, that's life change. That's transformational knowledge of your character. God, I just pray that we're not just people who are justified, but people who are on a constant process of maturity in you. And we need you to help us do that. So we love you. We thank you and we we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.